We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we living? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast, your premier Oregon podcast covering all things recruiting and Oregon football. Uh, it is Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023, and we are another day closer to the start of the 2023 college football season. I'm not rolling solo on today's episode. I am joined by Tyson Alger of the I-5 Corridor, also previously covered the Ducks for the Oregonian and the Athletic. Tyson, how are we doing? Thanks for being here. Dude, it's hearing you actually say we're getting close to to kickoff is it's just a relief because like this this offseason and then like the last like two months has just been so much auxiliary things that I'm feeling pretty good knowing that we're about a about a week away from getting into to game week here. Yeah, we we're getting close. The anticipation just continues to build uh, with, with each day. So got some uh, got some great topics to to hop into here with you. Uh, a little Oregon football chat and uh, on a Tuesday morning, um, I, we said it a little bit before we uh, went live here. But you know, we talked a little bit every now and then when I was in Eugene. Um, but honestly, just definitely admired your work from afar before I got into the space, and then to see you take your take your career with the I-5 corridor and do your thing there. Like just, just really great to see you, you know, continue to have that success because you, you do a heck of a job. Oh shoot. Well, I really appreciate that, man. Like that was, um, that was kind of the worry when I left the athletic was like, I, I hope people liked my stuff enough to try to find me wherever I end up. And, um, you know, tomorrow actually marks the, the two year anniversary of the I-5 corridor. And, the lights are still on, like the power is still working. This thing's hooked up to a generator, so it'll never go out. But it's, you know, the one thing that I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm an organ transplant. I grew up in Alaska. I've been, I've been in Portland here for the last 10 years and have covered the ducks for pretty much that entire period. And, and the one thing that I'm incredibly thankful of is the, the organ readership and audience is one that, um, you know, I think it took a couple of years of me mispronouncing things before they really like warmed up to it. But like, it's, it's an audience that, um, I think really appreciates uh, the writers and the reporters and just the stories that are able to be kind of told about the Oregon Ducks, because this is a um, this is a university that has had quite the story over the last 20, 30, 40 years. And um, I'm fortunate enough that I've, I've been able to have a platform to be able to tell a little a little part of that. Yeah, well, we're going to we're going to get into some of that today. Um, but before we get too far into the show, well, we're coming to you guys live at a couple different spots. 
We're here on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus. If you guys are here in the live chat, go ahead and leave me a comment. Let me know how you're feeling about the Ducks heading into 23. Uh, and maybe throw a comment our way and we can see if uh, if Tyson and I can uh, answer it. Yeah. Answer it. And then we're also on Twitter at MTaurus Sports and the Ducks Digest Facebook page. But with all the formalities out of the way, uh, I'm going to start with a pretty big question, but I think it can take us a lot of interesting places. So, Tyson, we talked about how you've covered Oregon for, for quite a while now. I wanted to start this off with asking you, how have you kind of seen the program change under Dan Lanning compared to some of those recent years? Because we're heading into a very interesting era of college football with yeah. conference realignment, with expansion, uh, all, all that stuff with the playoff and, and everything. So just kind of wanted to dig into things there. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the Lanning era has been kind of the natural extension of what Mario Cristobal started at Oregon because that that was the big transformation for Oregon. It was it was taking a school that, um, and don't get me wrong, like the the national championship teams had great players for the Ducks. I mean, Marcus Mariota, you can go down the list, but but those were teams that kind of succeeded on finding like the fringe things to be successful at, like whether it be up-tempo up offense or recruiting guys with jerseys or just being like that that national brand. It seemed like Eugene was kind of like this quirky outpost that you had to like really um, try to find the right guys for the system to win. And, and they were incredibly successful at doing that. But since Cristobal came in, it was the, hey, we need to invest heavily in our recruiting, talent acquisition, and, and really kind of build this team up like the top, echelons of teams in college football are i think that's the biggest thing you've seen over the last 10 15 years is those teams that were getting the top level talent are just getting even more top level talent i, I think it's really concentrating at the top and, and for oregon to be a school that has really kind of prided itself the last 20 years on being amongst that best in college football i, I think the talent acquisition has become the most important part and so with landing coming in and, and coming from a georgia where he he knows exactly what you need on a roster to win and knows what you need to do in the offseason to win i think this has really just kind of continued that like college football is a 24 7 all year long type of thing and i think it's just the the Dan Lanning era has been the the professional the professionalism of Oregon Ducks football and and I and I don't mean that in a way of saying that like yeah no I mean like that's what it is I mean that's what going to the Big Ten is about it's it's about getting into that type of money and it's attracting those type of players and I, and I think Lanning um, is the right type of coach uh, especially with his age and just kind of having a grasp on like like. Uh, there's a lot of older coaches that hold him in pretty high regard for the way that he respects the game and go about, he goes about things, but like, he's very nimble. And I just think that Oregon is in a nice position to kind of take this next leap forward where they're going to be playing against teams that are routinely as talented as they are. Cause that's the one thing in the PAC 12 is for the last 10 years, it's really only been USC that's matched them talent wise. And that's not going to be the case when you're playing Ohio state and Michigan and Michigan state uh, every season. Yeah, I mean, the, the talent acquisition part that you mentioned is, is certainly something that I'm interested in, um, you know, being someone that covers recruiting uh, as heavily as I do. So they're they're continuing to stay at that upper tier of the game. And I think this is a really remarkable just time for Dan Lanning because it's his second year as a head coach, uh, second year with the Ducks. But look at all the change that's happening around him as this is hap as this is going on, as he's you know still kind of getting his feet underneath him a little bit. I, I think it's going to be so much more than just it it's a good basis for a good foundation that 
he is building off of where Mario Cristobal kind of took the program, certainly from a, an SEC blueprint, a championship blueprint and all that. But now it's going to be interesting to see what does Dan Lanning do to make it his team, to, yeah. to make to make a, a mark on this is the Dan Lanning era of Oregon football. Because a 10-win season is a, is a good start, but uh, I think that there's definitely more things that this team is capable of. And that's one thing I find so fascinating about the landing era so far is like, again, they were a good football team last year. They're expected to be a good football team this year, but outside of like Bo Nix, it's really hard to kind of put your finger on like, what is the identity of this team? And that's such a stark contrast from the Cristobal era where it was Cristobal would come out and tell you every single day, like our identity is tough football. It starts on the lines. It's, um, you know, we've, we're creating the best offensive lines you've ever seen around here and we're going to play power football. And, uh, with Lannings, it's just still like, all right, like let's see the way that this this roster shapes up, the identity of this roster shapes up. There's, I know Dion has gotten so much uh, um, guff out in Colorado for the amount of roster turnover that he's had since he's been there, but Oregon's quite up there as well too over the the kind of the year and six months that Lanning's been head coach. So I, I think I understand why there might be a lot of pressure on him going into this year because, like as you said, there's so much going around, like being the head like there's no way he's been able to just focus on football as the conference stuff is changing as I, I mean, I, I, I still can't believe how early these guys have to start recruiting everyone too. like, I'm, I'm an old head in, in, in that sort of um, part of this world. And it's just the amount of tabs that they probably have to have open in their, their Chrome browser at all times during the day is, is insane. And so when, you know, Saturday after the scrimmage, when it, kind of seemed like landing was a little bit testy from the start when people are asking him about like just basic things about how the team looked. He, he, he looked like he was a little stressed that day. And I like, I completely understand. I had a couple people text me like, that's what happens when you know you have a good team and you want to be better. I had someone else text me that said like, that's what happens when you know you don't have a good team. Um, again, with this Oregon team, it's really hard to read between the lines. And I think that's kind of how, how they want it to be. Yeah, well, th there's a lot of good stuff there that we can get into, Tyson. Let let's stay on landing for just a second because I'd be interested to to pick your brain here as a as a fellow reporter. Um, I think one thing that is is interesting to to pick up on as you go to these press conferences. Um, I I did that during the the very start of Lanning's tenure, and then now I'm doing it from afar. But you kind of pick up on those little little uh, idiosyncrasies and kind of some of their habits. Like, you know, you can see when Lanny might be a little bit uncomfortable as his ears kind of pin back. Um, and then now he's kind of answering some of these questions just with flat out. I'm not telling you that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think he's a perfect example as far as from the jump, you saw, you see why in like the J school and journalism 101, you know, interviewing, you don't ask closed ended questions <laughs> like yes or no, because Dan Lanning will tell you yes or no. <laughs> It's um, I find it to be a, a, a welcomed challenge. And that's not to say I like that he doesn't give any answers to anything. Um, you know, I also think reporters aren't going to win any battles in the public uh, view of things when we're complaining about access or a coach not giving us answers like a, you, you're always just going to get like, I don't care what he says to you guys as long as they're winning football. But yeah, like it's it's a challenge to go down to a press conference and like you really have to think about what you want to ask and what you want to get out of them. And I, I think that there are, and, and this isn't meant to criticize anyone because this is a tough job and it's even tougher when you have a coach that, that doesn't really help you in, in those sense, but you, you can't come in with yes or no questions. You can't come in with like who stood out today, which is really tough too, because they won't let you see who stood out today. Um, but it's, uh, 
you know, people people have been kind of comparing that to like the Chip Kelly era where where Chip was um, notoriously tough with reporters. Um, and I think he's gotten a little softer over the years. But Chip was always someone that seemed like he would rewarded well thought out questions that weren't just kind of to get the like the day's content sort of thing or to try to get like a headline on who's injured or who might not have practiced today or that sort of thing. So it's it's definitely a game you have to play. And and I'm not playing the game a lot. Like I live up here in Portland. I've, I'm enjoying my like my semi retirement as a beat writer up here. But I uh, I have a lot of respect for those guys that have to go down and, and you know, they have to do their job like you always hear coaches say that like i respect you guys for having to do your job and i appreciate it but you know sometimes it doesn't all, always feel that way <laughs> yeah yeah sorry i was um i was messing with my audio a little bit uh while you were answering that because my microphone's been pretty finicky oh, but... it was ex- it was it was it was a great answer i mean people you're, the numbers shot up in the chat like, no just, i i liked it i i still caught i caught <laughs> i caught some of the the parts of that um but sorry i, I just wanted to to let you know, I was trying to work on that behind the scenes. But yeah, what you were saying is is definitely something that resonates, right? You know, it's, it's a tough job, um, especially uh, you just got to work with what you have. Hey, sorry, Max. I, I can't seem to seem to hear you. There you go. Sorry about that. My microphone keeps bouncing back and forth between my actual mic and my laptop. Can you hear me Dude. now? Yeah, I've had that happen a million times. It's the most frustrating thing in the world. <laughs> I'm losing my mind slowly but surely. Um, where can I pick up on that answer? Just as far as um, I was, I was saying that there's a, a lot of pressure as a coach at Oregon, um, regardless of where, you know, where you fall in the, the hierarchy, uh, just given the investment that they have in the program from like a Phil Knight level to even your average fan in Eugene it is a college town. So I think that there's definitely high expectations for Dan Lanning. Um, and I, I wanted to, to, before I get too far, I wanted to go back to one of the points you, uh, we were talking about as far as how Oregon uh, how Lanning leaves his mark on this team. And I think it's going to be a great defense eventually. Clearly they weren't there last year, but I think he's already kind of making his mark on this team just by the talent acquisition and the the roster overhaul that we saw this off season. Cause like you said, it's up there with, with Colorado just from a pure numbers standpoint, granted they've gone about it in two very different ways and prime has been a lot more outspoken about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, trying to trying to name all the new dudes in Oregon secondary is gonna take me probably until maybe week six or seven. Like, <laughs> like, but yeah, that's a good point. Like that that there's actually like a visual transformation in the defense too. Just like looking at like the type of line, linebackers that they've like brought in this year. Like, I, I think I think Dan Lanning's defense wants to get get away from kind of like the stiff, bulky, like two hundred sixty five pound type of Noah Sewell linebackers. And while Sewell was good for two years here, I I just didn't think that was a fit last season. So um, yeah, like this was a coach that when he was hired from Georgia, the one thing everyone talked about was how good Georgia's defense was. He was Georgia's defensive coordinator in the national championship game. I have to imagine it frustrated him last year to see certain performances that his defense put out there. And so I don't know if they're going to be able to fix that entirely in all one season, but yeah, I, I would I would imagine the long term stamp there is going to be putting together one of the conference's better defenses. 
Yeah, and, and Oregon's had good defenses in the past, but I don't think they've ever had this much talent on one side of the ball, is just spe- specifically defense. And that's why it makes the story all that more interesting while um, when you look at Bo Nix being the story last year um, yeah. because they, they were dominant on offense, but a lackluster defense kind of meant that they were skating by in some games that they really should have handled. Um, and then you had the Oregon State game and the way that it did. So if this defense, can, the, can this defense catch up with the offense, I think is really one of the biggest storylines that we have to monitor going into next season. Because even though Will Stein comes in as the new OC, you still have a returning quarterback. The yeah. first time Oregon's had that really since Herbert, like a quality, quality quarterback. Yeah. Um, so even though you have some new pieces there, I think the story is really going to be, can that defense catch up to the offense, which is it's going to be interesting. I wonder how long that's going to take. It, it was funny because I was I was going back and reading a few gamers from last year and just trying to kind of remember how the flow of the season went. And I think how the year ended kind of made people forget that there were times last year where Oregon looked as good offensively as they've looked since 2013, 14, maybe even 2012. Like uh, the the UCLA home win where it was a top 25 win game day in town, sold out Austin Stadium. I think Nick's had more as many touchdowns as he had incompletions in that game like that. That was the game where it was like, holy cow, like Oregon might be all the way back. And like we're talking back to like 2010 type of hype. Um, And then it kind of petered off towards the end of the year, especially on the defensive side. So I I think and also part of that happened. uh, uh, Bo Nix's injury played a part into that, too. But if that offense can be even just equal to what it was last year, I mean, even if it's like 5% worse than it was last season, if they have, if they have a defense that is even marginally better, like this is going to be a very formidable Oregon team because the amount of weapons Knicks has at his disposal is, is kind of gross to be honest. Like I've been, I've been covering this team for a long time and just, I've never been able to look at like the receivers and running backs and be like, there's this many dudes on this route. Like there's, it's just packed in there. Yeah, the, the talent on the offensive side of the ball is insane. Like, I think this might be one of the – this is easily going to be the deepest receiver core that they've had since I started covering them, but I haven't been on the beat as long as you have. So um, that just speaks to the talent that they have in that room. I think tight end is kind of an interesting question yeah. mark, um, given uh, you know the injuries and the, the movement that you saw in the portal there. Um, but as long as you have Terrence Ferguson and if Patrick Herbert can take that step and then you get a little bit out of one of these transfers and maybe Kenyon Sadiq, I think he'll be in good shape. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, I think that's the one, uh, depending on Terrence's health, if, if he's good to go. Like, I, I like the connection that him and Nick's had last year. Um, is this is this, is this Patrick Herbert watch season? Like, I don't know. We'll, we'll find so. out. It, 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 it does seem like there are like still like a handful of like, pretty highly recruited crystal ball leftovers who were still kind of waiting to pop. And, you know, it's, it's either it's Herbert at tight end or just some of the guys in the secondary on defense where it's like Triquez or Steve Stevens or, um, you know, God, Brian Addison makes me feel super old because that was, that was, uh, Chris balls, I believe first pac 12 media day, whereas they had gotten him to flip like right before camp started. And it was kind of talking to, he was a receiver then. And it was talking about just the pure athleticism the guy had. And he was he was decent last year, uh, you know, back at uh, top at safety. But um, yeah, I, I just feel like there's still a little bit of untapped potential amongst some of the holdovers that that aren't necessarily the new imports. Yeah, yeah. So there's, I feel like every time we talk, I, I you answer like there's something that I was thinking about, and then it's like, oh wait, what if we go this yeah. way? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Brian Addison in that secondary is someone who I think can definitely 
emerge as a major, you know, asset. But with the overhaul and the pieces that they brought in, whether it be Tyshin Johnson or Evan Williams uh, in that secondary, I think you're going to see a lot of competition there. And it's it's really, you know, for lack of a better phrase, put up or shut up season um, for at least for that safety group, because you have a whole bunch of guys there that have played a lot of football, but it's just kind of been okay or good. Not certainly not at the level that Oregon's needed it to be at. Dude, I mean, like you can even go to to cornerback, like in like look at Dante Manning, like he was the other five star along with the the Justin Flo Noah Sewell five star signings of that class, and um, there was so much kind of hype and potential there. And you know, I, I think I think we unfairly grade football development these days, where it, if it's not like if you're not shining out as like a freshman or a sophomore, it's like this kid's a bust. And I I, I think people kind of throw development out the window, but. You know, I was talking to to Dante quite a bit at, at media day, and I was just like, "What's it like to still be here when so many of the people that you came in with, especially that class, are either gone or some people have gone on to the NFL?" And he was just like, "Yeah, like it's it's weird, it's different, it's it's like." And I think a lot of those players kind of know that this is that that quote unquote put up or shut up time because as Lanning's shown, like he's going to bring in guys to replace you if if you cannot play at that level. Yeah, let's um. Let's let's shift it up a little bit and then we'll maybe get to some of these questions because I saw some in the comments. But let's let's talk about um, kind of what defines success for Oregon in 2023, Ooh. because you could go a couple different ways here. And, you know, Oregon has been knocking at the door of trying to get back to a near six bowl or really get back to the playoff for quite some time. And Dan Lanning comes in and rips off a 10 win season right off the bat. What what defines success in your in your eyes, Tyson? Um, I think they need to go to the Pac-12 title game. I think that's really important to just uh, especially with the eyeballs that are going to be on this year's Pac-12 title game. Like this is the last of the best of the conference, and it would it would be a pretty weird look, look if it was like Cal and Colorado in the title game, and, and you know. I'm sure the Big Ten would love bringing in USC and UCLA and Oregon and Washington if they're not kind of the featured players in that. Um, so I, I think they need to get to that level. I, I also think there's going to be a bit of pressure to make sure Bo Nix has a very successful season too. Like you don't go to New York and put a billboard up in New York City or go to Dallas and put a billboard up in Dallas and then come out with an offense that's not working or you come out and you're nationally irrelevant within a few weeks of the season. I, I think the Ducks... Uh, the, the end goal is big for the Ducks, obviously. Pac-12 championship. I get back to the playoff. They have the talent to do it with this roster. But I think the biggest key for them is just remaining in the conversation. Like, that's that's always been Oregon's thing is just, like, be close to the conversation. Be be uh, be reachable. And, you know, if they go in and, and they beat Texas Tech in week two and, and Knicks is throwing – a bunch of touchdowns and running all over the field, like that's going to be really good for the ducks. And that's going to be really good for Dan Lanning in the long run too, because not only does it show that you can promote a player like that before the season, but then you can help deliver on what could be a magical season for Knicks and the ducks this year. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And, and that's another interesting point, too, that I had in my notes, Bo's billboard. So I'm glad you, you brought it up. Um, a lot of people are you know, harping on how that's like, you know, his Heisman campaign and whatnot. But I love what you said for not only just promoting the guy, but then ultimately being able to follow through and carry through with it. Um, Because you're seeing some people say that it's, it speaks, I think, to like a recruiting pitch for Oregon and just, and like in, in in the NIL era and, you know, with, with Nike and the exposure of going to the big 10, like that's, I feel like that's like one of Oregon's first like big, recruiting pitches on this new stage like come to Oregon and you're going to be a a national icon in the sport which is really what Bonex has become I'd be curious to figure out the timing and planning process of that because it seems like it went up a little too quick following the the Big Ten announcement to be like man Oregon made the Big Ten and they they went all like that thing had to have been planned probably months in advance but I don't I don't think it's a Heisman campaign like I think this is Oregon promoting its best and most known player like across the country. I mean, obviously it has Heisman connotations because of the way that Nix has played and, and kind of uh, his status within the sport. But I think it's just really easy for Oregon to go to recruits and be like, how am I going to help your brand? Like, look at that. Look at that. Like you can point, you can point to a freaking billboard and say like, this is, this is how we promote our players. Like this goes back to what I said earlier about like, this is the professional era of Oregon football. Like, I, I don't think this is going to be the first type of this sort of thing that the Ducks do moving forward. I, I don't I don't think it's going to be 20 years again like it was with the Joey Harrington one where, before we go like, oh, man, like look at this random money that Oregon spent to help to help push the brand forward. Like this this is all in the Oregon playbook now. Yeah. And, and that speaks perfectly, I think, to kind of some of the tidbits that I've gathered, you know, talking to high school coaches down here and talking to players, talking to parents that are going on these Oregon visits and they're sitting in on these NIL meetings. Not that this is directly NIL, but it has to do with those lines yeah. of exposure and everything. And they're all telling me I've gone to Alabama and Ohio state and all these big schools. Oregon is on another level when it comes to their approach to NIL. And that's why they're probably one of the teams that's most uniquely positioned to flourish in, in this era of, of football. It's not, it's not being limited as if it ever was really, but maybe in the past, it's not limited to, Oh, this is a small city in Western Oregon. It's, it's blowing up and Oregon's yeah. going to be everywhere. It's that national brand taken to another level. Right. And, and that's, I, I feel like Oregon's lost so much uh, continuity just over the last 10 years because of the, the change of the coaching staff. And, you know, especially in 16, when you lost all of the history of, of the, the assistant coaches there, then you go to Taggart and Cristobal and now landing. Like it, it feels like, as we said earlier, you're still kind of searching for the identity on the field. I I love that Oregon still as like is kind of embracing its like its non-football identity of like we're the creative school. We're the ones that are partnered with Nike. Like the fact that you do hear 
positive things about Oregon in the NIL space too, and in the way that they're able to be creative around that. Like, I, I think that's at where this school really needs to lean into is just, um, yeah, like we're the uniform school. Like we're the ones that try to do things cool. We try to do things out of the box. We try to do things differently. And while some of the parts of the way we operate may have had to streamline towards uh, the how other top tier programs are doing them in terms of, like we said, talent acquisition and all that, like the way you can stand out is still the same way that Oregon stood out in the past. And that's just by being different and being noisy, like putting exclamation points behind things, putting up billboards, you know? Yeah, it's like they're really just embracing that that aspect of it like you know people will talk about a million uniform combinations but no national championships okay Oregon's working to change that but like they're going to lean into every bit of that that they can um because all these other schools have Nike on their jerseys on Saturdays but we're talking about Nike University there's no one that has it better than Oregon in that regard which is so pivotal and important with where the game's at and where it's headed right now and, and that that is one thing that I like about Lanning, you know, like us reporters, again, will will complain about how he, he doesn't tell us much, but he is a coach that has embraced what Oregon is like, you know, Chris, Chris, the ball, Chris, the ball was a really good coach for Oregon. I, I think people kind of uh, think poorly on it out of spite or whatever, just because he left. But the one thing that I didn't care about Chris Paul is like, he was so buttoned up in terms of everything. Like he, he didn't like headlines that like he didn't approve. He didn't like being flashy. He didn't like, it just seems like a lot of like what Oregon wanted to be. He was contrarian uh, to like, I even remember, um, you know, every year you see um, celebrities getting like their, their Oregon shoes. Like it's mm-hmm. like, you see an Instagram post. It's like Kevin Durant unboxing, like, like, his, his Oregon Jordans. And like, I really wanted to write a story just about like, how do they go about doing that or like selecting the celebrities to do this? Like, I, I think this is all just a part, cool part of Oregon branding and just Cristobal wanted no part of it. It was just, you know, we, we don't want to make headlines with this. It, it's just, it's just different because like, well, again, Lanning's pretty buttoned up. I think he very much knows the power of what the Oregon brand can be and, and how to really lean into it too. And that's another era where area where I feel like he's picked up where crystal ball left off, but also taken it to a new level. Um, and I was even thinking about this before last season um, with, with landing, you know, just embracing Eugene and being embraced by the community. It felt like he was taking all of those necessary steps to do everything he could to win without being able to play a game. And I think that you're going to see that trickle down, um, with, with some of his new hires. I mean, just thinking this offseason, I was listening to Will Stein this morning uh, talking about, um, you know, the, the backup quarterbacks and just the, the traits of a successful offense, and I'm loving what I'm hearing. I love the Leak Terry hire for, for the offensive line. You know, love li- listening to him talk, and, and he's getting me fired up, but he hasn't really coached in a game yet. So it really feels like Dan's doing all the all the right things right now and and taking those steps to – be a successful coach. And then I think to your point, getting back to the Pac-12 title game, that's, that's, I think kind of where you have to start the conversation for next year. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I, I hate the, like the, the yearly discussion of like, do you think he's going to stay in Eugene or do you think he likes it here oh, so or this or that? It. But you know, it's, it's interesting with him because he's, he's at quite the intersection of his career where if the ducks have the season that they want to have this year, like he's going to be, one of the most popular coaches in the country. That being said, he's, there've just been a lot of quiet things that he's done that he's done that just show me that he's 
a little bit more earnest in saying that in their embrace of the community than maybe prior coaching staffs. So like I've, I've even talked to some other coaches that from around here and it's just, you know, what do you think of landing? Well, I heard he fishes a lot and doesn't post about it. Like he's like, I, I like that. Like it, it's such a, it's such a stupid small thing, but like how many times did you see Mario Cristobal like out on the river trying to embrace a part of like what makes the Northwest special? Not all that often. Like it just, it seemed that Cristobal always kept, the community at arm's length. He was, he might've been a little warmer to us reporters, but it, it always just kind of felt like he was putting a spin on something. And I don't know, Lanning, Lanning feels comfortable within this community. I know he's got young kids that, that go to school here. And if they can kind of start building something, like I, I also think he's a very smart guy. Like he knows kind of how college football works. And if he were to stay here and put together like a 10 year run of being really, really good, like he'd, he'd become an Oregon legend and, I, I think uh, I think that's a, a pretty smart play if, if, if you want that life. Yeah, and, and maybe we're – I don't know. I don't want to make too much of the one presser over the weekend, but we kind of have seen a little bit of a pattern with just trying to hold things close to the chest. But to your point about, uh, you know, fishing uh, on the river and, and leaning into what makes uh, Eugene's in the Northwest special, you have that, and then you have a buttoned-up coach at these press conferences. And then I just thought of another example of how he's completely different from Cristobal – um, I remember covering the early signing period last year, uh, while I was on vacation in Europe, it was like, you know, one or 2 AM, whatever it was. And they had just flipped Dalen Austin. They got Mateo. They flipped Jaden, like just unreal tear. And then what does Dan do? He, he posts a little video of himself smoking a cigar. Like what an absolute savage. Yeah, and I, I absolutely love that. Like you just got to lean into it, lean into your youth, lean into that swag. Uh, but then, you know, kind of just be be that guy on game day and that's kind of what we're seeing yeah it's uh again as, as a reporter it's frustrating because you just wish that you could have like a little bit of that personality to put into your stories or, or you know just even like interactions but again like I'm not going to be the guy who like sits here and argues and says the coach is not giving me enough because I think it just we have to be creative in the ways we go about things. And I, I think I remember the quote last year because Lanning did this last season, too, and he didn't ever put out a depth chart. Like technically it was still Bo Nix versus Ty Thompson going into week one. Um, and like I think Lanning just said, like, if I thought it was an advantage, I, I would give you guys more. But I don't mm -hmm. think it's I an advantage. That. And I just like that's the way he thinks. And I. I'm fortunate to not have a job where my job doesn't mean I have to be there and ask him like the daily questions of that, that people need to fill out their, their daily stories. But, um, you know, I, in the future in years, you know, year eight, year nine, year 10 of this dynasty that he's building, you know, just be a little bit more relaxed, like a little, you know, like I, I would imagine they have such little regard for my football acumen that why do you think it would be an issue if I'm writing about it? <laughs> you know, like I, I don't think I don't think Lincoln Riley's like reading the I-5 corridor to figure out like what Oregon's doing this week. But, you know, maybe he is. We're talking with Tyson Alger of the I-5 corridor, a little bit of a little bit of Oregon football chat for you on a on a Tuesday morning to, to hold you over until we get to the start of the season. Let's get to some of these questions in the comments, Tyson. Uh, if you guys have some more, definitely throw them our way. Uh, this one's from LFBP Fishing, who's a, a frequent viewer. Uh, and Tyson, I thought this would be a good one because you were just out that way. Give us Ooh. a score prediction for the Portland State game. What do you want to see from the defense, from the offense? 
Score prediction for the Portland State game. I'm going to say Oregon's going to put up like a 70 spot. Like the offense is going to hum. Like that's that's kind of like what you would expect to see like a Heisman contending quarterback do. Um, Portland State's offense isn't bad. They, they have a, they have like a third-year quarterback in Dante Chachery who can really move. He's lengthy. Um, I would just like like I, I like Oregon's going to win this game by a lot of points, but I just want I just want to see especially their front seven just be able to kind of contain that guy and just shut down their run. That's the other thing Portland State has is they have three or four running backs that they're pretty proud of, and you know, I've seen practice a few times and like they can move like like they're like this isn't a team that's not going to be able to move the ball at all against the Ducks, but I would like Oregon to be just create a lot of pressure. I, I don't want them to get I don't want to see them get beat over top. Um, so we're going to go, we're going to go like 70, 70 to 16 with two, three field goals. Is that, is that how the math works? This, this is why I went into writing, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think I was going to go right, right around that area, like 70 to 14 or 70 to 17, maybe. Um, and as far as just my answers to the defense and the offense, I definitely want to see some pressure. I think it'd be a pretty concerning sign if we didn't see some good pressure from this Oregon front um, against a team, the caliber of, of Portland state. Um, and also just doing the little things, right. You know, not a lot of missed tackles, finishing Penalties. plays. <laughs> I think there, yeah, there's, there's two steps to getting pressure. You have to get the pressure, but then you have to bring the quarterback down uh, as well. So that's what I want to see from the defense. And then the offense just, Obviously, you want to see Bo settling well. I want to see some good cohesion and chemistry from that uh, offensive line um, that might be able to go eight deep, according to Will Stein. Was, <laughs> yeah. was kind of one of the quotes that I ran with this morning. Um, and uh, see a lot of young guys or just some of these new pieces get involved, like Treshawn Holden, Gary Bryant, Tez. Just, just distribute the ball so you can kind of have a good foundation to, to spring you into week two in Lubbock. Actually, do you know what I would like to see for the offense? I would like to see Bo have like four touchdowns by the half, get him the heck out of there. And then I'd like to see Ty Thompson have a sure. nice quarter of football. Like I, I I think that kid just needs a little bit of positive reinforcement between the lines. Like, I mean, like you talk to guys and, and he's a still a talented practice player, but you always kind of just see those guys who don't get a lot of reps and then they they kind of get in there and their eyes get a little wide. So it'd be nice to to get Bo out of there healthy and get the backups some uh, some reps. Yeah, could, could not agree more. I mean, especially after seeing the Washington game unfold how it did, I think a lot of fans were probably a little bit too quick to be critical of Ty because, I mean, you, you could not ask that was a, for tough a, situation. a tougher yeah, spot yeah. To, to come into. But also, I was a little bit intrigued by the staff's decision to essentially take the ball out of his hands and because I don't think they passed it while he was a call to pass play while he was in. Um, and you know, he took over at a really good spot where they were about to score. That was like a death March drive, but you gotta, you that's what you have to get your backup to. You have to get to that point. Like I think Lanning said himself, a guy that can take care of the ball and, and win us games. And, and, and that's just not where Oregon's been at. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We got another one here from, uh, John Adams talking a little bit of defense do we have too many new faces on defense with a complicated defense? What do we think? Um, I, I am, or I want to be on team team chemistry. Like I, I like the, the, the feeling of continuity and, and guys that are playing off each other and know how things work, know the book and everything. 
I also like competition and I like competition a lot, especially when you have the talent level that the ducks have brought in there. And especially if you go in at what they have at linebacker and secondary, like there are a lot of dudes competing for positions. So um, I, I do think that if, if you are working with a complicated defense, you, you know, you obviously will run into some issues if you got four new starters out there just in on the back end. Uh, but I, I think Oregon's coaches have a pretty good handle on, on what they're doing and, and the, uh, what the, um, caliber of athlete that they have what they what they can take in during a, a fall install yeah and that's along the lines that i was thinking too this isn't a, a complicated defense where you're relying on a bunch of true freshmen that you're throwing out into the fire like in 2016 or 2017 um like i'm thinking back to the early days of thomas graham and geometer lenore <laughs> yeah they, they weren't this is an example of where oregon's changed as a program they weren't playing because, oh man, they're just head and shoulders above the rest. Like there's some dudes. It was no, they, they, they was, yeah, it was breaking case of emergency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's not where Oregon's at anymore. And part of that is because of the roster development and then also talent acquisition. They, they went into the portal and got some really experienced guys that they feel no football. And then more importantly, that fit their defense. So it's not like they're getting thrown into something and they're like, oh, well, why, why am I here? This isn't what I was expecting, or this isn't kind of the defense that fits my strengths. Like you go out and get a guy like Jordan Birch and you go out and get a guy like Evan Williams, Justin Jacobs, and and you're seeing those guys that are going to fit what this defense needs. And that's, that's another thing too, is like, if you talk to Evan Williams, like Bennett's been in his ear a ton, <laughs> just about how this thing works. Like they, I, I think again, it's a lot of new faces, but it's a lot of faces that have played a lot of football and or have some connections to the team that, that might help them get ahead. Yeah, and, and I think that that's obviously going to be a big role in terms of what they're going to be able to ultimately accomplish this year. Um, it makes me think about how Oregon's brotherhood connection is like, I don't even know what stat you would be able to look at for this, Tyson, but like when there's a brother that plays at Oregon and then they have a brother that can also play at that level, you have the Sewell brothers, you have the Die brothers, yeah. Um, like it, 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 now the Williams brothers, it, it just goes on and on. It feels like, and like the the Laulu brothers are there yeah, now. They, like yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I I haven't been able to find that stat tab on PFF. Uh, I need just it. Like the like like the brothers power stat. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely need it. Um, we're getting some other questions in here about recruiting, but. I know, I know that's not really your wheelhouse, so we can try to keep it a little bit more team-focused. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that, that kind of comes to mind as far as, um, you know, what we can kind of get into here. We only have a couple minutes left, but maybe I'll just toss it to you. You know, what, what, what kind of has your attention or, or what are you interested in um, with this team a couple, couple weeks away now, less than two weeks? Man, that's a good question. I, I think on an individual basis – I want to see how much they ride Bucky Irving. Like I, I loved watching that kid run the football last year. I, and it was one of the rare times where I th saw something that I liked. And then I caught, talked to a coach who reconfirmed it. I, I had a long interview with a uh, former Oregon running backs coach, Gary Campbell last year and was talking to him about Bucky. And I was like, Hey, like, I don't want to like sound out of turn here, but like some people are saying that like, a little bit of the wiggle reminds them of LaMichael James and Gary was like, Oh, most definitely. Like they should be running that guy a lot more. So um, the tough thing for the ducks is they have some pretty talented running backs behind them. Noah Whittington, um, the, the other guys that they've brought in too. So 
I'm just kind of curious to see, like, are we going to be having a guy who flirts with like a 1500 yard season this year, or is it going to be far more distributed, especially with, um, with how much that Nick says he wants to run the ball here. That was kind of part of why he put on, I think four or five pounds and he said he focused it in his lower half, just cause he wants to be able to survive and thrive during the whole season where he's able to use his legs. Um, but then on just like a macro, um, does Dan Lanning beat his rivals this year? Like, I, I think, uh, I, I think it'd be a tough look to finish out the Pac-12 run with losses against Oregon State and Washington and USC. Um, the Ducks were really good last year, and at times, I think people were like, "This is the coach, like this is the guy." Uh, but you're going to at least have to. I think you got to win two of three of the two of three of the two of those three games this season to to really have people feeling pretty good about things moving forward. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, there, the, the Bucky Irving uh, comment was definitely one that I'm super excited about. I mean, he, he went over a thousand yards last year, but you kind of wonder what's the ceiling on his production. Yeah. If they're going to continue functioning in this one, a one B, maybe we even see one C with Jordan James. He's a, he's a back that's been generating a whole lot of buzz um, th- this off season, but Tyson, it was awesome having you on here, man. Uh, would love to have you back sometime, but before we get you out of here, um, where can people find more of you and, and your work in this space? Yeah. Um, if you can find all my work at I dash five corridor.com, um, we run about like one or two free stories a week, but most of the stuff is behind the paywall. Um, you know, I, being, being an independent journalist out there, it's kind of tough to make, make a living sometimes. So I, I appreciate anybody who considers that, but if not, just, just follow me on Twitter at Tyson Alger. And, uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate you having me on, man. Like I've, I've been so impressed with, especially the way you've built kind of your, your online and or your video following here. Like I've, I've kind of tried to wade the toes into YouTube and I just can't be consistent enough. And I, I mumble way too much to, to do this as much as you do. So, uh, much appreciation for, for giving me the signal boost and a little bit of time on your platform, dude. Oh my God. No, you it's, it's great to have you on. I'm always looking to to chat with other journalists, especially about the ducks and appreciate the kind words. Um, I think I'm going to stay on a little bit more and, and get some of these uh, mailbags answered, but um, yeah, guys, make sure you tap in with Tyson on, on all of his platforms. And, and uh, I can definitely say that he is one of those writers who's worth a subscription just with the, the level of his work. So it's here on YouTube, the I five corridor, if you're, if you're seeing it, um, but yeah, man, thank you so much for for taking some time out of your day to, to talk some ducks with me. Definitely got to have you back. Yeah, absolutely, man. And hey, enjoy the season. All right. Appreciate it, Tyson. Take care, man. Yeah, later.